Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Well, happy hump day to you. It is the Michael Duke Show broadcasting live across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or FM translator and live around the world on the internet at MichaelDukeShow.com where you'll find links to the audio only podcast, excuse me, the audio only stream, the podcast and the, of course, social media sites for all the various social media outlets where we simulcast the show each and every morning on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitch. Uh, welcome to the program, and thank you for coming in and joining us today. It is Wednesday, uh, and uh, it's kind of nice. Warmed up a little bit. Got a little bit. Uh, got a little bit warmer. About fifteen degrees right now, but snowing. Ooh, baby, it's going to be another snow day. Uh, supposed to get uh, up to 10 inches of snow here in South Central today, which is just fantastic. I just can't wait. I just can't wait. Um, <clears throat> sounds like another good day to work remotely from home. That's what it sounds like to me. Um, all right. Uh, what do we got going on today? Well, in hour one, it's going to be um, you and me. Uh, you and me. Hanging out, talking about a few things. I've got some things to say. I've got, I've got some things to say, and uh, I want to uh, I want to talk with you about uh, a few things here. But I also want to hear what you have to say, uh, and that is uh, why we're opening up the phone lines this morning for open line, open form, and that's going to be uh, that's going to be where we're going to kick things off this morning in hour one. We're going to go ahead and open up those phone lines, in fact, right now at 907-433-3150. 907-433-3150. It's powered by our friends over there at Satellite West. Now, doesn't matter if you're in Angoon or Antioch or Attigan Pass or uh, anywhere else, Anchorage, uh, any place that begins with an A in the state of Alaska, you can find yourself in connection with the rest of the world if you go and talk to the people at Satellite West. They've got the connectivity and the technology to keep you connected, uh, whether it's uh, phone calls or text messages or emails or maybe just even surfing the Internet. They've got what it takes to uh, keep you connected. Uh, special thanks to Satellite West for sponsoring the program statewide uh, here and of course, you can find out more about all their deals and their dealers across the state of Alaska at satellitewest.com. So the phone lines are open right now. We are ready to go. Uh, we are taking uh, phone calls and questions, thoughts. Maybe you've been, uh, you know, maybe you've been thinking about uh, various things, and uh, they're, you know, kind of on your mind. They're they're making you, they're agitating you, they're making you angry. Um, or they're they're making you frustrated, or like yesterday, 
where I was feeling a little, I was feeling a little depressed with the whole. Oh man, we're you know keep trying to keep trying to change the 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 course of the river, and it just feels like you know we're trying to hold back the hold back the whole storm. Uh, you know, it's got uh, you know the big dike is there, and you just run out of fingers because you're like sticking them in the little we're springing the leaks everywhere, and you just can't keep up. Uh, maybe that's how you're feeling this morning. I don't know. But we're going to hear from you in hour one. We'll let you drive the boat a little bit and take the steer the conversations, although I do have a few things to say that I'd like to uh, talk about to begin with. Uh, and then in hour two, we are going to be joined by a state senator, Rob Myers, who is going to be um, coming in and talk with us, talking with us about the competing visions of the Republican Party and how it's splitting us on the PFD and state spending and all these different things. So we're going to talk with him a little bit about that this morning. That's going to take a whole hour. I mean, just just to talk about just to talk about that, it's going to be a little bit of time. Um, and he was kind enough to come in and st- step in since uh, Mike showers out this week. And so we're going to talk about the competing worldviews and visions of those who uh, are in the Alaska Republican Party and what it may mean for our future. And uh, it's going to be it's 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 going to be it's going to be tough. Um, <clears throat> and uh, Rick is asking what it's going to be like down in the South Central area, or South on the peninsula. Uh, peninsula is supposed to get another three to seven inches of snow by this afternoon. With uh, gusty winds up to 30 miles an hour. They're saying that the worst is going to be some of the conditions out um, uh, on the Portage Valley, Turnigan Arm. Blizzard warning has been issued for that area with up to six inches of snow. Um, and uh, from the Hope Cutoff to Seward with another six to 12 inches expected in Whittier. It's like, you know, it's like winter's still here. I mean, didn't it get the memo? It's supposed to be over. Supposed to be thawing out now, getting ready for the green stuff to come back. But apparently not. <laughs> I mean, apparently, apparently not. Um, okay. Um, so uh where where am I where do I wanna where do I wanna start today? Well, uh I guess I should start with a story that I was reading this morning uh, over on uh Alaska's news source, KTUU. And this, while this doesn't direct anybody, you know, really in the listening audience directly, because it's we're talking specifically about an Anchorage, an Anchorage neighborhood. I just thought I'd, I just thought I would read a few things to you, to you, and get your take on it, and see if you were just as kind of flabbergasted as I was um, over the usage of, um, you know, our vanishingly small pool of federal dollars, right? Because we are. I mean, we're <clears throat> we're running out of money. I I don't I don't know if anybody really grasps that. I don't. Know, well, probably you do, but I'm saying maybe the average American who's not really plugged into politics and plugged into the whole situation, maybe they're just not paying that close of attention to what's going on. But uh, you know, we don't have an unlimited amount of federal dollars at our disposal. I mean, Congress acts like they do. Uh, they print more money, you know, they add more, they borrow more, they increase the debt ceiling and the debt limit, you know, all on their own and do all that stuff. 
Um, but <clears throat> that is a, I mean, that is a, uh, uh, <laughs> you can't, what is it that I like to say? You can't argue with arithmetic. Eventually, all those free dollars are going to go away. And so it really kind of flabbergasts me when I see money basically being thrown <clears throat> thrown around and, um, well, let's just let, 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 let the, let's let the words uh, tell the story here. So an Anchorage neighborhood is going to receive over half a million dollars from a federal grant uh, to what the U.S. Department of Transportation, uh, Transportation says will help reconstruct and reconnect the community. This is a reconnection grant. <laughs> That's not one of the most amorphous um, <clears throat> titles or descriptors I have ever heard. It's a reconnection grant. Pete Buttigieg. I'm sure that's not how you say it. I never can remember how to say his name, and I don't really care. Uh, called it in the release uh, that they announced yesterday that they set aside $537,000 for the Fairview neighborhood in Anchorage. And he called it the, he called it in the press release a first-of-its-kind initiative to reconnect communities that are cut off from opportunity and burdened by past transportation infrastructure decisions. Okay. It's part of the bipartisan infrastructure law signed by Biden that's supposed to invest over a billion dollars in five years in many communities. It aims to support neighborhoods by removing barriers and allowing them more social and economic opportunities. Fairview is just one of 45 projects that will be receiving the historic grant. I don't know if the word historic is even useful in here uh, because I don't think it really I don't think it really describes what's going on. The grant money is going to go to a nonprofit called Anchorage Neighborhood Housing Services, uh, which conducts business in the name of NeighborWorks Alaska, to help reconstruct the roads and pathways throughout the area to help foster a safer community. Now, I worked in Fairview for four years. When I first came to Anchorage, I was working for a radio station down there, which is right in the heart of Fairview. And I'm trying to figure out when they say they're here to reconstruct roads and pathways throughout the area to help foster a safer community. The, what? I mean, this is a this is a neighborhood. This is a grid of sidewalks and streets and alleyways and everything else. What what to, what what roads and pathways are they reconstructing? What exactly are, I mean, I don't understand. One of the largest barriers to living in or near Fairview is the Gamble Street and Ingress Street corridor, which is a high-speed road that runs directly through the Fairview neighborhood and presents safety concerns to the residents. To which I would argue, I've seen major cities that, I, I don't see how this has any, is any different than major streets running through, you know, neighborhoods or in in areas both residential and commercial in downtown Seattle or Portland or, I mean, anywhere else. I mean, I just, anyway. 
The planning award will be reportedly used to funds uh, will reportedly use the funds to address traffic and safety problems in the Gamble Ingra Street corridors, which runs ten blocks through Fairview. Okay, all right. The Fairview Community Council President Alan Kemplin said it's wrong. It's an injustice that has been done to the people of Fairview, and it's gone on too long. Oh, man. Now we're talking about justice and fairness and everything. Now, Ingram and Gamble have been there for, what, 45, 50 years? I'm... NeighborWorks Alaska applied for partnership, blah, 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 blah. Where was the thing here? NeighborWorks Alaska Director of Community Engagement. Okay. First of all. Four hundred and excuse me, five hundred and thirty seven thousand dollars is set aside for this. And I got a question about how much of that is going to be consumed by salaries. That's just my first question. But when the neighbor works, Alaska has a director of community engagement, Lindsay Hajduk or Hajduk. I don't know how she wants to pronounce that. She said it's all about reconnecting the neighborhood and focusing on the equity and environmental justice issues of the past and correcting those in the future. The environment. What? It's a, it's a road. It's a, it's a community. I mean, this is, this is a whole thing, but you can see that this has been a theme with them because previously neighbor works has been in partnership with the Fairview community council on a project that they called fairness for Fairview. Um, to which, you know, the created chiefly to help prevent pedestrian deaths, among other issues on Fairview. Now, again, the problem in Fairview is that there is a there is a there's an issue with both a homeless population and a intoxicated or inebriated population that tends to patrol the streets in that area. Um, and that's part of the problem that's in there, which is, I don't think necessarily the fault of the road is it is maybe we've got some other issues in the community, but the fact that they're going to spend $500,000, which by the way, if you're building a road, we'll build you what a quarter of a mile of road or a sidewalk. I mean, you can't even build a pedestrian overwalk for half a million bucks. So I'm trying to figure out exactly what they're doing here, or is it just, Money to show that they're doing something. Is that money just going to be consumed by, you know, salaries for these organizations and, you know, a meet and greet with cupcakes and coffee? Is that is that it? I just don't understand. Anyway, this this was my first story that I read this morning, and I was a little bit floored by it. Just quite honestly, especially when they came back and they were like, we are hoping to use this opportunity to focus on social equity and safe access for people that just that aren't just in cars. So people on foot or biking or on wheels. So wheelchair scooters, those kinds of things, which is why there are sidewalks in all of these. Never mind. Never mind. Just doesn't matter, apparently. But don't worry, they're going to get some fairness for all this stuff. It's just, it's an injustice 
focusing on the equity and environmental justice issues of the past in this 10-block neighborhood. Just shake my head. All right, we got more coming up. The Michael Duke Show continues. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Phone lines are open, 907-433-3150 if you want to sound off. I got other things to talk about as well. We'll be back with more right after this. Running on 100% pure beard power. Oh, also some coffee. We dip our beard in coffee. Ha, <laughs> nice beard. The Michael Duke Show. I thought I was going to lose my mind when I was reading this. Uh, I just thought I was reading this and I was just like, what did the, what, I, oh, anyway, um, I just, I, I, I don't even know what, I don't even know what to say. Uh, I don't even know what to do. Uh, connects to Sullivan, all the downtown homeless camps. Uh, that intersection is very dangerous, Fairview. I mean, there's, again, it is a busy road, but it's not like they just plonked it down there yesterday and said, well, you know, I mean, this has been, and having been and worked in there, and I mean, I was there for years seeing what was going on and watching what's happening, I I just don't know what the half a million dollars is going to do. You know, that's, you know, that's, that's, you know. It's, uh, it's crazy. It's, it's just, it's crazy. Um, all right, let me go back over here and, uh, See what you guys have to say. Kyle said he's sitting around a nice fire with his six o'clock club in his hand, uh, six o'clock club mug, mug in his hand full of coffee. That sounds nice. A little bit of a fire, you know, hanging out, doing that. Uh, welcome to the party, pal. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Who wants to talk about the impending supply chain disruptions? I hope everyone is paying attention to what's happening in Ohio, says, J- uh, says uh, Jerrica. Jerrica, you can call if you want to talk about that. Phone lines are open if that's something you want to chat about. I'm, you know, not out against that. Uh, conservatives versus the big business Republicans. That's, you know, that's kind of the competing viewpoints that Chris is talking about over on Twitch. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we see that. We talk about that, the corporate cronyism. Uh, definitely. Richard says, no matter what, it's still better than being in the lower 48. Okay, I mean, I'll give you that. It's it's just so good. Just say no to federal dough. I love that shirt. I get so many looks when I wear that T-shirt. People are like, because they got to turn their head and kind of look. And then they're like, oh, yeah. Uh, Hey, EL, Eskimo Libertarian in the chat room. Uh, Good morning, my dear. How are you? Um, Still waiting for the economic stimulus to kick in from all that government spending, (laughs) says Donna Arlen. I know. All that government spending, it's going to be, it's going to be great. Um, oh, let's see. I just want to be able to afford groceries and heat. 
the spending inflation is insane. I mean, that's that's exactly where you get, you know, what's going on. Um, have you you have to go through Fairview to get to other places? Yes. Um, going through here. Uh, so what does it mean they're going to remove all the barriers? So that mean they're going to remove all the barriers they put up on the side streets to funnel the drug dealers onto certain roads? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what's going on over there, but I mean that that whole place is yeah. And Robert says, have you ever taken a, a have you ever taken the road north in D.C.? I mean, this is not the only town where a major road is. You know, um, yeah. I, I just uh, I yes, yes. Um, here is, oh, here's Harold. Here is irony. 40 school administrators fly to Juneau paying for airfare, lodging, and food for three days from their school district budget to testify to the legislature who are trying to find ways to figure out to improve schools in Alaska, asking for more money. Yeah, I, you, 100% right. Harold's 100% right. Using government money to go down and beg for more government money that that's the whole thing uh donna says she wants the shirt she wants the just say no to government dough shirt uh 500k doesn't get you far road construction anymore if you look at the for matsu spending you'll easily spend way more in smaller spaces i believe it costs as much to add a t turning lane to an elementary school oh i don't i i'd be surprised if you could get that much all right, we got to go. Uh, we're going to jump into it. The Michael Duke Show continues. Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Like and share, like and share, like and follow. Here we go. The Michael Duke Show, proudly splitting the left versus right uh, dichotomy. Yeah, I had to look that word up too. I don't think it means what he thinks it means. Here he is, though. That guy, Michael Dukes, the one with the show. That's right. I'm the guy with the show. Don't, don't, don't you ever forget it. <laughs> the Michael Duke show. Somebody asked in the chat room, hey, have you ever driven in those roads that are, you know, been through those communities that are north of DC? I mean, they got some serious traffic. You think Anchorage traffic is bad. They got serious traffic in some of these areas. I, I know, I know. That somehow that that, uh, again, it just seems like it is, um, well, it just seems problematic. Let's just say that. Uh, what else do we want to hear about? Not one, but two of the major news media outlets in the, uh, in the Anchorage area, in the South Central area, apparently have realized that there is a House minority. How do I know that? Well, because they're both reporting on how unhappy the House minority is about the lack of progress on education. Now, let's rewind for just a minute before we get into the meat of this. Let's rewind for just a minute. I just don't recall the ADN or the uh, KTUU, Alaska's news source, really reporting much when the uh, Republicans were in the minority for the last four years and were complaining about the treatment that they were receiving at the hands of the majority. 
that they were like, you know, hey, we just want to get some bills passed. We want to do this. We want to do that. I don't remember there being, you know, competing news stories from both outlets about how the the House minority was unhappy with what's going on with the majority. I don't just um, remind me, did you does anybody remember seeing that at all? Does anybody remember seeing any of that? No? Okay. I thought, you know, thought it was just me. So the headline reads from KTUU, House minority unhappy with the lack of progress on education and workforce issues. They're unhappy. Okay. The the ADN reports Alaska House minority bemoans lack of action on school funding, but the Senate has a plan. That's the... I mean, when exactly did our news media outlets in this state become actual mouthpieces for the big government, big spend crowd? I mean, just unabashedly, like unashamedly, you know, yeah, there's no and there's no there's and there's no balance to it. Maybe I'm just being bitter. Maybe I'll admit. I may be a little jaded and a little bitter about this, but I got to say that the more I watch and read these things and I'm just I'm just so frustrated by what's happening. Alaska House minority leaders on Monday publicly called out members of the Republican dominated majority for dragging their feet on what they see as the state's top priority for the legislative session, increasing school funding. When did when did the news media especially the ADN, ever care what the previous House minority, now the majority, did on any... I mean, when they complained about any of those... When somebody uh, in the House minority, the current House minority, the Democratic House minority, has got somebody at the ADN, Iris Samuels, I would assume, on speed dial. (laughs) Because, I mean, this just really... Sounds like this is something that was written by somebody who works over at Media Matters or something like that, which, for those of you who don't know, is a left wing media outlet that criticizes other media outlets. Anyway, um, the story goes on to quote Calvin Schreggy, who is the Anchorage Independent, who leads a caucus composed mostly of Democrats. Yeah, he's a. Um, and it also quotes Kathy Tilton uh, and talks about, so there, there is some balance there. I do appreciate a little bit of that balance. But then it goes on to talk with a bunch of other majority members and Democrats who are just upset, incensed, I tell you, that this is what's going on. A bill to increase the per-student funding formula for public education by $1,250, which would translate to an increased cost of $321 million annually, that is a third of a billion dollars annually to the state, was presented to the House uh, Education Committee uh, earlier this month, but the committee members did not take action on the bill or indicate whether action was taken. Schrege told reporters on Tuesday, yesterday, that we haven't really seen the attention that we think that bill deserves. But that is the process, right? Sometimes bills go to committee and they don't come out of committee. Sometimes bills go in there and they die. That is 
what makes the majority minority thing. That's that's how that power structure works. Remember when you guys were basically killing everything that you didn't want and and basically beating the minority like redheaded stepchildren. You remember that, Calvin? Oh, now the shoes on the other foot. They're like, oh, just mommy, mommy, he's taking my toy. I mean, that's just how it is. See, here's the thing. Everybody or most of the people in the minority have said that they are open to the idea of increasing education funding, but they want it to be meaningful and they want to have some accountability. That's that's what they're asking for. And that's where everybody balks. Well, I just I don't. I I just we just couldn't do that. Um, Elise Galvin is quoted in here, which, man, uh, people are saying, you know, they're, they're calling for funding increases. The conservative, more conservative members of the house are calling for funding increases to be tied to increased accountability. Gasp. We might want something for what we're, you know, we might, might want a road, you know, a benchmark for what we're getting. How dare we ask for, you know, accountability in this? But some have said, educators have said there are already robust accountability measures in place. Well, obviously that's not working because we're 49th in reading, math, uh, what is it, STEM? You know, I mean, we're already down to the bottom of the barrel. So obviously something's not working and you just want to throw more money at it. But it gets better. Elise Galvin is quoted, who's also an Anchorage independent. She says, accountability is the buzzword. It's the distraction of the day. So when somebody asks me, hey, how about that accountability piece? I say, hey, what's your plan to get your kid reading with less and less and less? So your answer is the system is broken because we can't get our kids reading right now. And your answer is to just simply throw more money at it because that's it. I mean, this is such a straw man argument. It's it's just astonishing. I mean, she says it with a straight face. She looks you right in the camera and says, hey, what's your plan to get her kids reading with less and less and less? We're not getting less and less and less. We are talking about potentially increasing it. By the way, we're already spending $18,000 for every child. What I'd like to know is with that $18,000 with every child, they're failing. They are failing. And so your answer is to bump it up another one, two, three, five, ten thousand $10,000. How about double the money for every student? Well, will that just cause them to fail faster? I mean, you cannot make chicken salad out of chicken droppings. I mean, they both come from a chicken, right? But I would not want to eat chicken salad out of the one, you know, I'd have, I'd love a delicious chicken salad. I just don't want the other part of the chicken to be made into salad. That's what you're saying. You've got a system that is essentially chicken droppings and you're like, well, we just need more to make it. It's not working. There needs to be some accountability. There needs to be some acknowledgement that something is not working. Now, opening up the formula, taking a look at it, mandating that 70% of those funds go directly into the classroom, I mean, that could make a difference. But this idea that, well, 
hey, what's your plan to get our kids reading with less and less and less? Well, I don't know. My plan was to pull them out of your stupid school system and teach them how to read myself. Because you guys are doing a crappy job at $18,000 per student. I mean, come on. Really? I mean, that's that's your answer? Are, are you kidding me? I mean, this is, it's just, it's it's insane. Elise Galvin, by the way, she is going to be my new queen of quotes. Elise Galvin said, I was meeting with constituents this past weekend, and one longtime member of the school said that working in the schools these days has made her feel like a character from The Last of Us. She said, if you haven't seen that, I'll just give you another image. Essentially, she said to me, because I needed her to kind of give me more on that, she said, I'm like a survivor of the zombie apocalypse. Oh, my God. Are you... This is what we've got. This is the, this is the arguments that we're getting on this. The zombie apocalypse. You know, if that teacher really wanted to, that teacher would be pushing for opening the funding formula and making sure that money gets into the classrooms instead of going to the overhead that we've talked about in the past. I mean, this, this is, this is the craziness, but you know, there's, I mean, again, there's so many pieces and parts of this whole thing. One, that the news media is apparently just acting as a mouthpiece for the minority at this point, pushing the minority's agenda, not really reporting on it, more pushing it. Uh, the fact that they go on and, and, and chastise you for ask, how dare you ask for accountability? There's already accountability. And oh, my God, you want to start talking about opening up the formula and what's going on there? Uh, there's some discussion, Ben, some discussion from uh, 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 from Mike Prax and uh, who's the other one? Mike Prax and somebody else, uh, Tom McKay, uh, have been wondering that maybe we need to overhaul the formula and the gasps could be heard around the world. <gasps> you can't open up the formula. <gasps> but maybe that's what needs to be done. Loki Tobin says, oh, that, you know, that could be that, you know, she said that the Alaska education system could use some reimagining, but without a funding increase, it would be difficult to improve the system. So it's the same argument. The system is fundamentally broken, but before we open it up to figure out what's broken, we just need to give it more money. But without a funding increase, it would be difficult to improve the system. I think they're putting the cart before the horse, so to speak, If in that we can't reimagine a system if it isn't well-funded to begin with. I Cart and horse, you just totally made the argument for cart and horse. We need to reimagine a system that's broken, but we can't do it until we put more money into it? Are you legally insane? We just can't reimagine a system if it's not well-funded to begin with. You had a 35% increase in education costs over the last, what, 16 years. It's one of the largest line items in the budget. It's $18,000 per student. Almost 20. Some places it's $100,000. I mean, the average. You, but we can't possibly reimagine it without more money first. 
Oh, I'm gonna burst a blood vessel. I mean, seriously. I mean, really? All right, I gotta go. We gotta, we gotta, we gotta. I got more coming up. You guys have been quiet. Apparently, I'm. I don't know if I'm scaring you or what, but the phone lines are open. 907-433-3150. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Back with more after this. Broadcasting live through a series of tubes. Allowing all of these uh, entities to provide streaming stuff going on on the the, the internet. Well, it's kind of hard to explain. Sorry. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. I mean, am I at a line here? But I mean, when I look at this, and this is this is the argument that this is the argument. Well, the system could use some reimagining because the system is currently delivering results that place us in the very bottom of the education system in the United States. Well, it's very big of you to say that the system could use some reimagining. What kind of word is that? I mean, reimagining. The system needs to be analyzed and stressed and revamped because it's obviously not working. But now you're saying we can't reimagine it if it's not well-funded to begin with. We don't have the breadth and the ability to be strategic and planful and be innovative. Planful? Is planful even a word? Planful. I'm searching. I'm searching up. Planful. 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 Planful is like a name brand. It's not even a real word. It's like a name brand. We don't have the breadth and the ability to be strategic and planful and be innovative if we're struggling just to ensure that the rooms are heated and the bellies are full and the kids have shoes on their feet. What? It's your responsibility to make sure the kids have shoes? What the actual, what? This is why I could never be a legislator. This right here is why I could never be a legislator. Because I would call them out for the BS that they've got. I mean, I would absolutely call them out for that kind of. That was just BS. I mean, that is just. We're struggling to ensure the rooms are heated and the bellies are full and the kids have shoes. The only thing you should be responsible for in all that is making sure the rooms have heat. And if you can't ensure that the rooms have heat, maybe you need to fire some of that overhead staff so that you could pay the heating bill. I mean, this is just the most ridiculous thing that I have heard ever. Oh, yeah, by the way, these same legislators, thank you, Donna, these same legislators want to take away the PFD from these kids so the kids can't have shoes. 
and they can't. Maybe that's part of the issue. Maybe that's part of the plan. The plan is, is to make them so dependent on the state and take all the things away that, of course, the state is responsible for all that because they know better than you. You, they know better than you. Mm. <sighs> oh, man. Eskimo Libertarian says, oof, tell me how you really feel. Well, you know. Oh, good morning, good morning, good morning. Um, I'm arguing without a 75% federal proficiency, no school funds for sports travel. Bear or gnome doesn't need to be in Bethel or vice versa. Um... You keep using that word. I don't think it means what you think it means. Yeah, I feel that. I feel that very much. Mike, do you take your voice to some of the meetings, assembly school? I have done that for years, uh, Rick. I have done that for years. I've testified. Uh, I, in fact, I, I joined an assembly because I was so agitated by what was going on and then discovered that my time in the long run was better spent trying to educate other people about what's going on. So there you go. Oh, they can't even shovel. They can't even shovel the snow off the roof so they don't cave in. You expect them to really keep your kids safe? Yeah, I know, right? I mean, but don't worry. But don't worry. We're struggling to ensure the rooms are heated and the bellies are full and the kids have shoes on their feet. It's like the last of us. This is a zombie apocalypse. We're all going to die. I mean, we've spent, you know, $1.2 billion on it, but it's the zombie apocalypse. And, you know, why don't people like Iris Samuels and stuff? Why don't they sit down and do more research on this and point out the fact that there has been an increase and overall the educational increase? I mean, you know, people monitor this show. I do bring up facts on this show. I mean, we have Sarah Meltabano on the show. Nobody's quoting the facts that we're talking about. You know, the actual increase, statistical increase, you know, the cost per student and and, uh, you know, and and the fact that education funding overall has increased all. Nobody's bringing all that up because uh, why again? Doesn't fit their narrative. Does it do not fit the narrative, baby? That's why right there. All right, I got one line on hold, and I don't have enough time to check your name. I'm sorry. I apologize. I got... I'm very ranty this morning. Let's get things going on. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. We're continuing now. One final segment before we jump into it. Rob Myers is going to be our guest in hour two. I don't know. He he may be taking his life into his own hands is the way I feel this morning. I could be like jumping, jump through the microphone at somebody. All right, let's uh, go to the phones and see what you guys have to say. 
I mean, I could be wrong. Maybe that's what you want to tell me is that I'm just out of control and I'm wrong. Or maybe not. I don't know. Let's find out. We'll go over here. Good morning. Who's this and uh, where are you calling from? Well, this is Bonnie. Hello. Yes, in North Pole. Hello, Bonnie. And I hear everything you say. It's the world of word salad. Word salad. You have equity and inclusion. Those are the wonderful new power words. And if you don't believe with our gobbledygook, there's something wrong with you. Yes. And I'm going to say something is probably going to be shocking, shocking, that you know what? We let the unions have so much power. You know, a lot of states have gone away with, gotten away with the unions because they cause a lot of problems. We, they have to have a raise every year. They have to have everything every year. It's for the people that work not for the children who need the schooling. And that's my opinion. <laughs> All right, Bonnie. Well, I mean, I think, uh, you know, I, I think that there's definitely some truth to some of the things you're saying, um, you know, uh, that I think that some of the, you know, the powers that are moving behind the scenes and, and some of the movers and shakers are definitely a lot of the union interests that are going on in there. Um, I mean, I just... Uh, Again, I'm just shocked at the way this whole thing is coming out. I mean, between Elise Galvin's two comments about the zombie apocalypse and, uh, uh, you know, and the fact that, uh, 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 that uh, you know, her, how what's your plan to get your kid to read, right? What well, the accountability. She just can't believe that, you know, oh, we don't need accountability. We need more money. And then Loki Tobin coming in and saying, well, you know, we could, we could reimagine the... <laughs> Which, what kind of soft speak is that? The education system could use some reimagining. Um, I think we need to fundamentally break down the system and take a look at it and analyze it and have a hard look at it. Not in reimagining, but just because that sounds soft and beautiful, a reimagining. We need to take a long, hard look at it. You know, with uh, with a jauntist eye to say this has not been producing the product that we needed to produce and we need to fix it. But she goes on to say again, but we can't reimagine it if it isn't well funded to begin with. OK, we don't have the breadth and the ability to be strategic and planful, planful and be innovative if we're struggling just to ensure that the rooms are heated and the bellies are full and the kids have shoes on their feet. Wait a second. What? The, the kids have shoes on their that if if you got kids that are coming to school without shoes on their feet, somebody needs to call the authorities on the parents. Right. That's not your responsibility as a. You know, bellies are full, again, of the brooms are heated, bellies are full, and shoes on their feet. The one that you really should be responsible for as a school system, as an education system, is making sure that there's heat in the rooms. And if you can't keep heat on in your schoolroom, maybe you should fire one of those administrators that you have and take those salaries that you would have spent on that and pay the heating bill. So what they're saying is we can't, I mean, you want to talk about, you want to talk about cart before the horse. What you're saying is 
we can't possibly fix the system until we have more money in the system, then we can fix it. Which, I mean, that's like saying, you know, we're traveling in an airplane in the wrong direction. But what we really need is, you know, more fuel before we decide to turn around and, you know, I mean, we take off and we start heading in the wrong direction. Well, what we really need is we need more fuel before we decide if we should turn or not. You're going in the wrong direction. What? I mean, this is, we can't have our educators providing quality feedback if they're worried about losing half of their staff due to low wages. Why would you be going to the educators for feedback? You need an outside, somebody coming in from the outside to look at this, because obviously everybody so far who's involved in the system is too close to it, because if they, it's failing. And they're, what they're doing is not working, but they're continuing to do the same thing. You know what they call that? <laughs> Insanity, right? You need somebody else to come in from the outside and look at what's going on and try and figure out what's broken. You know, first we've got to right the ship and then we can talk about how we want the ship to look and where we want to end up going. No, if you are taking a journey, the first thing you need to decide is where you want to go in the first place. I mean, this is the most disjointed, insane commentary I've ever seen. Well, first, you've got to write the ship, and then we can talk about how we want the ship to look and where we want to end up going. You've got to know what your destination is to begin with. Maybe that's the problem. Maybe this is really what's happening. We want to write the ship and get the full crew in there and everybody we can from the from the guy who sweeps the floors to the, you know, every, we got to get all that. And then we're going to decide where we're going to go. You have to have a destination, which should be children who can read and write and do arithmetic, who can score. I mean, even in the middle of the pack amongst their peers in the United States, let alone the rest of the world. I mean, we're, just, you know, we are 49th out of 50 states and the District of Columbia, let alone comparative to the, the academic achievements of students in other countries. We've got to write the ship and then we can talk about how we want the ship to look. I'm not talking about looks. I'm talking about efficiencies and actually, and then we, and where we want to end up going. If you haven't chosen a destination before you set foot on that boat, you've got a problem. We've got to make sure that the rooms are heated and their bellies are full and that they have shoes on their feet. <laughs> I just don't know. I just, this is reason number 1236 why you should homeschool your kids. Right there. Right there. These people have no idea what they're doing. No freaking clue what they're doing. The bottom line is, we just want more money, and then we'll decide where, where we're going to go. That, that's it. It's like, you know, they're a freaking meat puppet, Muppet, you know. The unions and the school districts have got their hands up, the th you know, and their mouth moves, and that's, you know, that's how it works. 
I mean, they, obviously, there's no logic, rhetoric, or reason in this argument because I, I mean, I just destroyed this argument in you know the last twelve minutes. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna step out for just a second here. Uh, we're gonna be back. The Michael Duke Show continues. Rob Myers is up next. Brace yourselves. We're gonna. <laughs> We're going to continue right after this. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense Radio. Sorry, I just had to go outside and scream for a minute because I'm just, no, not really. But I, I just, in my mind, I'm, these are the arguments that are being made in this discussion. These are the arguments that are being made. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good morning. Oh, Calvin Schrage is in the chat room. Good morning, Calvin. Um, buddy, we got some issues here. I'm just saying. Or should I say, I'm sorry, sir, representative. Uh, I We got some issues here. Because, I mean, you want to talk about cart and horse. Uh, Iris Samuels tried to put this whole thing is that it's a cart before the horse for asking for, uh, asking for, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, 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 it asking for accountability and for changing the system before we get the funding. That's how she put the, the heading here. That, you know, she says cart before the horse, and then she goes on to talk about Mike Prax and Tom McKay. And in the end, the, it's all Elise Galvin and Loki Tobin talking about how we just couldn't possibly do this. with. We need more money before we could possibly look at what's wrong in the system. Please, sir. I mean, please. Could you just hit me with a little logic here? Okay. Okay. Well, um, I guess we're gonna uh, we're gonna jump over here to Rob. I'm gonna let him talk this morning because I could possibly lose my mind if uh, we continue on in this vein right now. We'll see what we'll see what he has to say. Hello, Senator. How are you? Oh, I'm doing okay, Michael. I I, I, I was I was uh, pretty awake this morning already, and then you woke me up a little more. Oh, sorry about that. I you know I just wanted to <laughs> get you squared away. I um, <clears throat> I uh, I woke up this morning to discover that the hot water was out in my apartment. So. Oh, that's a well. That'll that's brisk. It's brisk. It'll make a brisk day. Perfect. You know, that's, well, that, yeah, you know, and then uh, that storm that you're getting in the Matsu, uh, the, the same storm that's hitting Juno, we're supposed to drop a foot today. Oh, geez. Well, 
It's good. It's all good. You know, like I said, I think I'm choosing today that I'm probably going to work remotely instead of having to battle that out. Yesterday morning, it was a white knuckle ride into Anchorage. It was literally the visibility was about 20 feet at one point. Um, and, uh, every Yahoo in a big lifted pickup truck was passing me at 50, 60 miles an hour, blowing up even more snow. I mean, I was just like, you know, I don't need that. I just, I don't need that at all. I'll just stay home and work from home. You guys can fight it out in the death battle, death Royale on the highway. Um, all right. Um, Rob, I don't know if this was a good day for you to do this because I'm so agitated right now. It's unbelievable. Um, but, yeah, we, we need to talk about these competing visions. And um, and I know that that's going to be our topic today, talking about the competing visions amongst Republicans in the state of Alaska. We've talked about it in the past. Um, I don't I don't want to get all into it before we get back on the air. So I'll just, uh, you know, how's it been down there, Rob? How are things going? How are hours? How's how's tricks? It's it's actually not that bad. Um, you know, the, the nice thing about being in this lovely little super minority, I have uh, I have a little time on my hands. And, uh, you know, I was just just talking to somebody over the weekend about it. Um, I, I went uh, home over the weekend, did a constituent meeting, talked to some folks and stuff. And one thing I was telling somebody is that, you know, last couple of years as a freshman and being in the majority, I always felt like my entire day was putting out fires. I was always focused on right what was right in front of me and uh you know that that's fine it gave me a lot to do uh kept me busy but you know it you start if 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 that's all you're doing sometimes you feel like you're just spinning your wheels and uh now that i've got some more time on my hands i feel like i can kind of sit back and take a broader view and think about the future and um you know, a lot more of what I'm doing rather than just, you know, today and this week and, and things like that, you know, where are we, where are we actually going here? Um, so, I mean, in some ways this is actually kind of helpful uh, in the long run. Uh, we'll, we'll see how it goes here uh, over the next, uh, over the next year or two and, and uh, see if it actually gives us a little bit of a leg up. Uh, that'll be great. Uh, we need, we need a few more of you in there to get this done. And I don't know how to exactly to fix that right now, but we're going to do it. Uh, I noticed you made a comment. Uh, the school system's trying to be parents. Um, I got 90 seconds. You want to comment on that real quick? Just uh, since I, this is kind of completely off track of where we're going, but I just like your comment on that before we go forward. Well, I mean, it's just, it, it, it just seems to me that, that, uh, you know, I've got, got my own kids, a couple of them in, in school and stuff. And it just seems to me that that's a lot of what's going on is the school system over the years has just slowly expanded you know, it used to be, we're going to teach you to read and write. And then it became, well, we're going to teach you a few other things. And now it's, you know, we're going to take care of you, you know, whether that means teaching or something else. And, you know, they're just slowly expanding to, to take over what is normally a parent's role. And gee, what a shocker that all requires money. But that then means that, you know, jack of all trades, master of none, as you keep expanding your role, you get less and less good at some of the things that, that you're doing. So, you know, maybe it's time that we focus on what a school is actually supposed to do and and tell parents to be parents and you know we might actually get somewhere yeah well i mean that's the thing uh we've abdicated so much responsibility to the state at so many levels now it's not surprising that this is where we're at but if we don't take back our own power as parents and stop abdicating to the state meaning the government we're going to be in deep trouble 
We may have passed the point of no return at this point. I don't know. Uh, the Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. We'll be back right after this. Put that thing back in its holster. We haven't gone anywhere. I don't understand. Check out the MichaelDukesShow.com for information on how to get access to the podcast. Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Across the world on the internet at MichaelDukeShow.com, where they have uh, the audio-only live stream, the podcast. Let me turn that up for the live stream, in fact, because we haven't been loud enough. There we go. Uh, The audio-only live stream, the podcast, uh, and, of course, links to all our social media sites where uh, you can find a simulcast of the show on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitch. Feel free to come out and join us there in the morning if you'd like. Uh, You could still listen on the radio, but you can comment and talk with other people uh, while you're there. Uh, And, of course, also broadcasting live, plain old terrestrial radio, my favorite place to be. This, your favorite radio station and or FM translator, it is The Michael Duke Show. Second hour of Wednesday. Now, normally this is Mike Shower Day where we have the shower hour of power, but now we've got uh, filling in uh, for us uh, and bringing his, uh, his, I think, fantastic insight into the situation is our friend Senator Rob Meyer, who is uh, here to join us this morning and talk a little bit about the competing visions that we see right now in the legislature, but more specifically competing visions that we see inside of the Republican Party itself. Uh, Rob, good morning. Good morning, Michael. Thanks for coming on board. Now, let me let me let me preface this whole discussion with this. I have been arguing the last couple years that really this is not an R and a D game. This is really not a Republicans versus Democrats or conservatives versus liberal. This is really it could be broken down in if you're looking for a label that is more descriptive and more accurate. This could be a pro big government government spending versus smaller more responsible cutting the size living within our means government that really is the two camps that we're talking about and there's i mean there's people from every party in all these different groups and all these different things for different issues and everything but specifically people keep voting you know the pulling the lever for the r thinking that the r Maybe they just think that it is always that we're all kumbaya and it's obviously if you're paying attention, that is not the truth. So let's talk a bit about the competing visions as you see it. Uh, you've been down there a while now. You've got your finger on the pulse. You're seeing what's going on. You're sitting in the super minority, the minority of the I mean, I don't know. I feel like you guys have got dunce hats on sitting in the corner, you know, waiting for your, your turn there. 
But let's talk a little bit about these competing visions for both economically in the state, for the government, for everything that's going on. I give you the floor, my friend. Yeah. Um, so I, I wrote a piece, um, got put out in a, a bunch of the newspapers about a year and a half ago or so. And I was talking about the the PFD. I said, you know, the PFD isn't our only problem, but it's really emblematic of, of all the other problems that we have. And, and you can see how the PFD splits both of the parties down the middle, really. And, and really what a lot of this is going on and, and how the PFD plays into it is we're looking at two different visions of how you build an economy and two different visions of a government's role in, in building that economy. And it really just splits the Republican Party down the center. Um, and you see that down here in the legislature. You see that in the rhetoric across the state. You know, it's it's not just just the politicians. It's, it's the populace as well. It, it affects the Democrats, too, but not in the same way. Um, and, and we can get into that one a little bit later, but I really want to focus on the Republican side. Um, and this is an old debate. This is nothing new. Um, a, a lot of this follows the, the Hammond and Hickel debates back in the 70s, back when we were getting started down this oil path. Um, and it's changed somewhat over the years, but, you know, kind of the core of each of them uh, are, are still about the same. Um, and, and you can think of it in a lot of ways as it revolves around that phrase in our Constitution that says that the natural resources should be developed to the maximum benefit of the people. And right. Section you know, eight, section eight of the Constitution. This is a sticking point for many people. Right. Yes, exactly. Yep. Uh, Article eight, section two, that, that the natural resources should be developed to the maximum benefit of the people. And um, it, 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 we have different definitions of what maximum benefit of the people means um, is what a lot of it boils down to. And, you know, we're talking about natural resources, but the same thing really is applying to the permanent fund as well and how it should be used and how it should be spent. So everything that I'm about to say about resources really also applies to, to the permanent fund. So one vision is that you use resource wealth by putting it in the hands of individuals to grow the economy. Individuals make decisions about where to invest that money, where it's going to be most efficient, um, and it diversifies the economy by investing resource wealth into non-resource fields, which is, is extremely important in the long run. It's a very slow process. But it's a path that the most successful resource economies have used over the years, um, both within the United States and outside of the United States. I've just been been reading a book about natural resource economies uh, around the world and, and where they have worked well and where they've fallen apart. And it, it's, it's when you empower your individuals that you end up with the best long term sustainable growth. Ultimately, the goal is to let the private sector do its magic. You keep government relatively small. Most sectors expect fairly little from government, but each sector is expected to pay its own way. That's that's the phrase that Hammond used, meaning that economic activity has to be able to support the government that it uses. So if you use the roads, your economic activity has to be able to support your use of the roads. If you expect a workforce, then your economic activity has to pay for you know portions of the school system, you know, things, things of this nature. And really, just to to, uh, to some extent, this is this is Hammond. Okay, he wasn't a big developer. You know, he he made some some very interesting statements on the on the conservation side, um, but he trusted individual people more than government to make decisions. He trusted individual people with the money more than he trusted government. And he argued that our resources are used to the maximum benefit of the people by getting the proceeds in the hands of individual Alaskans. And that's exactly 
what the PFD does. Because the state owns uh, all that land where and, and the mineral rights where the oil is coming off of, that money doesn't go to individuals. The PFD is the only way that royalties make it in the hands of individuals. And, you know, back uh, 10, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, when the PFD was, you know, five, 600 bucks and, you know, maybe fill your fuel tank, but it's not going to really grow an economy a whole lot. Now that it's getting up into the, you know, a couple $3,000 range, it can because you can start putting a couple, three PFDs together. And all of a sudden now you're starting to find ways to invest in yourself and create your own side hustle and things like that. And, that, you know, that's the wonderful thing about the private economy is you never know when one of those little side hustles is going to become the next Google. Or, or something along those lines. So you, you you know you just let the let the the process of experimentation work. The problem with this vision, ultimately, is that it doesn't make headlines. It's a slow process. People don't see it happening as it's working. It, you know, it's kind of under the surface, and so it's hard to get people to trust the process. And I think that's why a lot of people aren't necessarily believing in it. Right. It's easier to support a policy that that brings in one or two big employers, you know, a ConocoPhillips or a, uh, or, or or you know a, a big road project or something like that, instead of a process that creates an environment that allows a lot of small employers employers to thrive. And so I think that's where you know where we start to fall down is it's just a a, a publicity issue. Right. Well, uh, can I no. it, it, let me sidebar for just a second here because I think you you make a valid point, especially when you're talking about money's in the hands of the public as in the private economy versus the public governmental economy, because anybody who's who's studied economics or looked at it, even at the most superficial level, will acknowledge that money that 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 churns inside of a private economy is, you know, has a it has a multiplier effect. And it depends on which study you read or which economist you follow. But they say somewhere between five and seven times for every dollar you put in there, it will churn out five to seven times more dollars in the long run because it's properly invested. Whereas when government spends a dollar, it only turns one time, maybe one and a half times. Uh, on the high end, maybe two, but usually it's between one and one and a half times. So just from a standpoint of a simple economic thing, that should be the big in the pro con list. That should be a win right there for putting the money into the private sector more than anything else. But people seem to ignore that fact to begin with. Right. And and I mean, ultimately, in my mind, what, what that all boils down to is that when you put money in the hands of an individual, they make decisions on how to invest that money from economic incentives. When you put that money into hands of a government, it makes it makes decisions on where to put that money based on political incentives. And the two do not coincide uh, quite often. And right. that's why you end up with that massive difference there. So that leads us into what the other vision is. And the other vision starts with the state owning all or most of the resources and garnering all the profits. The government that invests in infrastructure, education, other things that a modern economy needs that, are, that that support a modern economy. But then they're assuming that the growth and diversity comes from decisions made in Juneau by these wise sages down here in a legislature and in the governor's office, rather than into the hands of, of individuals. It's a top-down model that prevents a crisis in the commons because it manages the resources as a whole from a central democratically elected body. The natural resources, especially the oil, because that's the, the, the uh, most profitable one right now, 
are supposed to subsidize the government and the rest of the economy. So one example of that would be the film credit system that we did uh, about 10 years ago. So it piggybacked on the oil credit system by giving film companies tax credits that they could sell the oil or other long-term tax corporations in the state. And then it was ended by the legislature when the oil dropped in 2015. The thing is that they've gone back and done a, a study or two on that since then. And they said that it actually costs the state money to, to do that. It didn't actually make the state money. Um, and so, you know, it's nice to, you know, have a, a couple of movies that are actually shot in Alaska rather than, you know, shot in British Columbia or in Massachusetts or wherever. But in the grand scheme of things, was that the smartest way to in, invest our, our money? You know, is that, is that the best idea is to use our oil money to, to subsidize another industry like that? You know, in the long run, no. And, you know, the vision is in, in this model, the vision is that the resources benefit the people by being sold and then using the proceeds to pay for things that benefit the people. So it's an indirect benefit, um, but it, it's not benefiting in the sense that you and I get to choose the benefit. We get to sit back and let the guys in Juno choose what the benefits are going to be for us. We're supposed to benefit, um, but we're not the ones getting to make that those decisions. So. And this is largely Hickel. So he, he used that phrase, crisis in the commons, as the title of his book. It's a nice, logical vision. There's a lot of benefits from the perspective of a, of a state bureaucrat or a politician who wants to run things in a nice, orderly fashion. But then you get a whole host of problems in the implementation because of the different incentives it creates. And again, you have people that are making decisions from a from uh, political incentives rather than economic incentives, and then expecting that to grow the government. Um, so it, yeah, it's just causing a whole host of issues there. I, uh, you know, and, and we've seen this in the past, uh, again, this argument of, of, uh, you know, private sector versus public sector. Uh, I was trying to be generous on the, on the multiplier effect. I know it's down closer to less than one, but this is, this is part of the problem. And this is why we've talked about, you know, people who get involved with government, they seem to think that overall that government knows better than we how we should spend. It, it's it's a it's a, a redistribution. It's kind of a I mean, I don't want to be mean about it, but it's kind of that nanny state mentality that somehow they are wiser and more prescient on what that money should do and how it should go instead of giving it to people who will make those decisions, as you said, from an economic viewpoint from a, you know, what are the economics of this? What will give me the best return on my investment instead of something that is more politically or ESG or socially motivated or something like that? And that's the thing. You could do things that make people happy in the short term, but it's the law of unintended consequences that kills you down the road. You may make people happy in the short term by funding something, but in the long run, you've made them worse off because you've made them not only dependent on it, you've now created a uh, a continuing outflow of revenue that has to continue to fill that, even though it doesn't do what it was supposed to do in the beginning. Right. I mean, we'll just take one of the, the easier examples and one, one of your lovely, you know, favorite pet peeves, deferred maintenance. Um, I had a, a couple of groups in my office yesterday, um, very different groups. One was a group of UA students, another was a group of engineers. And both of them brought up the concept of deferred maintenance as an issue that needs to be addressed. And I told them, I said, look, I agree with you 100%. Deferred maintenance is some, is a huge issue in this state. The last time I saw the numbers, which was last year, the, the state deferred maintenance list was a little over $10 billion. Um, 
And uh, but a lot of the reason that we have that deferred maintenance list is because your average individual or an engineer building something is going to think about the the consequences 10, 20, 30 years down the road. Your average politician here in Juneau is thinking two to four years down the road. And that's not when the maintenance costs come up. So what do we do when we have a, a big spike in revenue? We go out and we build things and sometimes they're useful things and sometimes they're not. Um, but we go out and we build all these things. And uh, then by about the time that the maintenance bill comes due, that's about the same time that, that the, uh, the revenue boom drops. And now all of a sudden we can't, we don't have the, the money to maintain these things. And so we defer the maintenance off and off. And then, you know, we kind of ride that cycle back over again. You know, a lot of, a lot of what we're looking at now in terms of deferred maintenance is things, uh, is, is buildings and roads and bridges and things like that that were built in the late 70s, early 80s during that, that big first huge oil boom. And now they're getting near the end of their life cycle. And we're sitting here going, well, now what do we do? We don't have the money to maintain it. We don't have the money to replace it. Um, how, how are we going to take care of this? And, uh, you know, again, people are making economic decisions with political incentives, and that causes some serious issues. Uh, we're talking with State Senator Rob Meyer. Uh, we're up against the break, and we're going to continue our discussions with him here in just a moment. Don't go anywhere. It is the Michael Duke Show. Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Uh, continuing discussions on the competing visions inside the Republican Party. Rob's given us a deep dive on this, and we're going to continue with him here in just a moment. We'll be back with more right after this. Don't go anywhere. Listened to by more staffers in Juneau than any other show. Because their bosses told them to. And after what they just heard, oh man, they're going to be pissed. You're a bad, bad man. The Michael Duke Show. Rob Myers is our guest here on the program. Uh, I see Calvin Schrage made a comment in the chat room that he'd love to come on after Rob. Uh, uh, Calvin, uh, Rob's going to be with us till the top of the hour. If you're available tomorrow morning at 624 a.m., I will take you for that uh, rest of that full hour if you are available. Drop me an email, me at michaeldukeshow.com, and uh, I will uh, uh, I will uh, love to bring you on the program tomorrow to discuss these things and more. So let's, uh, let's get into that. Um, you know, for all the for all the things that we hear about and 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 the questions that we have now over the permanent fund, uh, Rob, the thing is, is that all we had to do was go back and really look at what Hammond wrote. And that pretty much sums up the whole uh, the whole issue. I mean, whether it was first call on the dollars, whether it was uh, making sure that Alaskans were connected to their governance and everything else. I mean, this. He really had a vision that I think um, has been unparalleled since that time of what should be happening and how the state should be run. And he and he warned us. He warned us specifically of the situation that we are in right now. He he warned uh -huh. us of that in big ways. If you've read Diapering the Devil or any of his other works, you could see exactly what he was warning about and why he was so concerned about this uh, disconnect of the public and private economies 
uh, and the and the reliance on revenues from the oil. Although at the time, I don't think he was concerned as much about the fund itself. Um, I don't think he was as concerned about that. But that has become basically the boogeyman in the room. Right. You know, there's there, it's one thing to to base your your government revenues off of off of oil or natural resources in general, and that creates a a, a significant set of problems um, as we've as we've discovered. But basing it off of the fund uh, is even worse in the long run. And you know, we've we've talked about that you and I uh, on the show uh, a few times, and I I, I want to come back and that's kind of the next thing on my list to to talk to you the next time I'm on is is you know where we're going and and where that the you know depending on the fund actually takes us in, in terms of of our government and our economy and things like that i mean but you're you're 100 right about hammond i mean the man was was not an economist or or anything by that by any stretch of the imagination but what strikes me when i read his books is he knew human nature he understood people absolutely and he and he understood incentives and and you know where people's minds were going to go and so he said, here's what's going to happen. And, you know, by and large, his framework was correct. And now I'm sitting here reading stuff like this, which is a, a, a book I found got published about 20 years ago by the UN um, with essays from three dozen different economists talking about uh, natural resource economies around the world. And I'm like, oh, that's Alaska. Oh, that's Hammond. Oh, OK. You know, and just it's just now they are filling in the gaps of where Hammond's intuition took us. Rob Myers, sorry about that. Rob Myers, our guest, uh, uh, talking with us about the differences in what's going on. Hammond was a visionary. And, uh, uh, you know, one of my, one of the things that I'm disappointed is that I never really got a chance to meet him and talk to him uh, because I would love to have picked his brain on a lot of these things, especially in the later years, as you could see what was going on. Uh, and you could kind of see the direction that things were going, uh, how we've moved, uh, uh, you know, moved in this direction now to the more pro-government side. Yesterday, Rob, I said something. Uh, what do we got here? We got a minute. Yesterday, I said something that, you know, uh, it was it's kind of demoralizing and shocking. But I realized that in a lot of ways, those of us with the viewpoints that you and I share are are in the minority in the state of Alaska these days. We used to be a majority. We thought we were all a comfortable majority, but it seems like more and more the dependency side of the equation has grown and we really are in the minority these days. Right. And, uh, you know, I, I made the comment in the chat room yesterday about that. You know, I, what I looked at, as I said, you know, on the, you know, the Republican side or the, the you know, the, the more conservative side, you know, we could we had this divide there. If you actually got up and talked to people, I think the divide was still there. But because we had money, you could kind of paper over the cracks and you can make both sides happy. You know, you get your dividend, you get your infrastructure spending and everybody goes home happy. Um, and now that's not going to work anymore. And this, that's why we're stuck this way. Rob Myers, our guest. Let's jump back into it. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense, Liberty based, free thinking radio. Here we go. The Michael Duke Show. Seriously humorous with a pinch of intellect. <laughs> pinch of intellect. Sorry. That is humorous. Here's Michael Dukes. Welcome back to the program. We're continuing now. Rob Myers is our guest, Senator uh, from the North Pole area, District, whatever it is now. Oh, uh, oh. Q. 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 That's right. Down at the bottom of the alphabet now. 
Uh, we're talking about the competing visions inside the Republican Party, not the competing visions of, you know, the Republicans versus Democrats, but the divide, which we've talked about on the program before that I, I've said that one of the problems that we seem to be having in the state is that we have a Republican Party essentially at war with itself internally and um, and and a Republican, you know, a leadership that's not willing to really tackle those issues. Um, you know, when you vote for somebody uh, who's a Republican, you would assume that the generic party labels apply, meaning more fiscally conservative, smaller government people that that would be kind of, you know, on a knee jerk reaction. That's what you would say. Uh, but that's not necessarily the truth. And Rob is breaking us, uh, breaking it down for us here. Looters versus non looters, says Chris. Um uh, so anyway, I'm sorry, Rob, you were saying before we were so rudely interrupted by the commercial break, you were talking about some of these differences, especially when it comes to oil production or excuse me, uh, resource economies, uh, et cetera. Right, right. You know, and again, this, this all breaks down on, on, uh, when, when you have a, a, a resource-based, uh, economy like we do here, really what a lot of it breaks down on is how do you spend the money and who gets to control it? And, you know, before we went to break, I was talking about the second vision, which is, is the government largely controlling the money and, and reaping the profits and then turning around and spending it. And, and the vision being to take that money and spend it on infrastructure and things like that, that, that are supposed to then grow your economy. You know, there's a lot of reasons that that model fails though. First and foremost, in my mind, it fails because this, in order to make that vision work, the government has to keep control of the money. But that same need to keep control of the money in the hands of the government to finance infrastructure also creates the opportunities to funnel that money out as welfare, whether that be the low income individual version, as we're talking about Medicaid or something like that, or the high income corporate version, as we're talking about the doctors making the money off of the Medicaid. Um, and, you know, so, so that by centralizing the money that automatically creates that temptation. And that's one of the nice things about the PFD is it decentralizes that money and it removes that temptation so that individuals, again, can make their own decisions. And again, think about where this vision leads us. If you're going to centralize the money, centralize the decision-making power down in Juno, any power to change our economic situation has to come from either Juno or from some outside corporation. That, that comes in and, and makes a large scale investment into, into the state as oil or mining or fishing or something like that. Your average Alaskan effectively is assumed to be powerless. Your average Alaskan is now sitting here looking at Juno, waiting and saying, what are you guys gonna do next? Not what am I gonna do to better my situation and my family situation, but what are you guys gonna do? Um, because I'm, I, I don't have anything. I can't do anything. You guys have all the money. You guys are the ones that are going to have to make these decisions. Right. Well, you know? and, that, and that's exacerbated, of course, by the fact that you guys are so remote, that you are off the road system, that you have no, you know, that the average Alaskan cannot afford to fly down there, uh, you know, uh, and, and stand face to face with their representatives or their senators or, or other legislators to come testify in the committees and look the committee in the eye and do all that. Uh, I mean, we're talking about groups and boatloads of people who come down there, you know, with, uh, you know, on the, on the company dime, so to speak, you know, the groups that are utilizing the, the one that always killed me was lobbyists paid for by government money to go down to the government and lobby for more money, which just, uh, you know, 
it's a never it's a self-licking ice cream cone. It's a negative reinforcement loop where it just, you know, more and more and more. And the average Alaskan, as you said, is powerless sitting out in the cold going, well, I'd really love to sit down there and talk to my legislators during the session while they're talking about a bill that I really care about. But all I got to do is I got to sit here and wait on the phone for 53 you know, minutes or whatever to get my two minutes in. They can't see me. They can't talk to me in a room full of lobbyists who are sitting in the you know, who are sitting in the gallery uh, watching this this stuff happen. It is a powerless feeling. And it's one of the most frustrating parts, quite honestly, I think, of, of citizens trying to deal with this government specifically. Right. You know, and I, I, I try to make it home a couple of times during session and do town halls and, you know, do Facebook lives and things like that. But, you know, because I am having to come home to do that and not, you know, that's just not where I'm stationed. It's not like I'm home every weekend. Then that means that, you know, there, there, there's these little scheduled times. And if that doesn't line up with your average Alaskans, you know, uh, uh, you know, plans in life, you know, I, I was I was home on a uh, doing a, a Saturday morning for town hall this last weekend. And, you know, if, if you're busy at home because you're at, at work or you're at, you know, trying to, you know, uh, you know, get the driveway shoveled or something like that, then, you know, it, you end up out of luck. And, you know, I try to do the best I can. And, uh, you know, I know a lot of the other legislators here do, do too, but uh, you know, time is, is what it is. And, and there's only so much we can do about that. If we were closer to our constituents, then yes, it would make that, that easier for you to come to see me on your schedule and not on my schedule. Right. Well, that's why we've talked about putting it on the road system, because then you could hop in a car and uh, make it, uh, you know, make a one to five hour journey to get to the, the where things are happening and be able to, to have input in it. And I think that's led to a lot of things. And quite honestly, I think it's led to that with a combination of I don't want to get off track here, but a combination of that and ranked choice voting. We saw basically a lot of people just throw up their hands and not bother because they feel like I can't affect it anyway. And that that accelerates this again, in my opinion, that accelerates the pro dependency side of the governmental equation. Right, right. And, and as you get pro dependent, you know, look at what the what that model then creates, you know, ultimately that model of of a stronger government that controls the money. The goal becomes to export commodities in order to gain capital to build some sort of industrial model. And that's, you know, that's an old model. It's 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 been used by by many countries around the world, especially socialist countries. But ultimately, what it, what we've seen happen with it is it has some short term successes and then some long term failures because effectively it relies on buying your way to success and it doesn't rely on building the talent and the institutions that are actually required to maintain that success. We end up developing industry and infrastructure, but we don't develop people. And, you know, that model, it, it just assumes that there's a strong leader at the top with a vision to keep everything in place. You know, that was, I mean, Hickel was pretty explicit about that. You need a, a strong person in the governor's office to, to keep everything on track. And if you don't have that strong person, then it, it starts to fall apart. So, you know, that may work sometimes in some certain non-democratic institutions like, like Singapore a few years ago. But in the long run, it doesn't work for a democratically elected government. We would be pitting a leader who wants to maintain control of the resource wealth to create his long-term vision, which won't be fulfilled for decades, against a leader who promises short-term wealth distribution. Now, you tell me who's going to win an election in that case. Right, exactly. Well, and, and besides the fact that really that model is built 
specifically in the dictatorial vein where they have to remain in power for a long period of time to be able to see that vision come through. And that's not our system of governance. And that's not how it that's not how it, it, it works or how it's supposed to work. And historically, that has been part of the problem as well. Not that, again, I'm not advocating. I'm saying historically, it's been part of the problem as well. In your point of saying they're promising a short-term gain, they're promising money, you know, chicken in every pot or money in every uh, program or dollar or whatever like that. Pretty soon, you're promising stuff to everybody, and there is just not enough money. You know, this is government's problem. Government's problem is they're trying to be all things to all people. Uh, Instead of looking at what are we constitutionally mandated to do, what are the nice-to-haves versus the absolute constitutional must-haves? And we've gotten way off into the pucker brush on the nice-to-have category, and that's why we're spending fifteen, sixteen thousand dollars $16,000 for every man, woman, and child in the state of Alaska on state government, more than any other state in the union. And it, it some of it may have to do with our geography and things like that at the size of the state, but not to the point that we're seeing now. Right, right. You know, and, you know, to, to your point there with, you know, with with having local government and stuff that, you know, you go back to Hickel and, and back during, the, you know, he was Hickel was very active during the statehood fight. And, and he made a point that local control of the resources rather than control in Seattle or D.C. He said that local control of the resources uh, would be better because locals are going to manage the resources better than the outsiders. And that, he was 100 percent correct in that. I agree. But because his vision then cut people off from the proceeds of those resources. My question to that is, if locals aren't directly benefiting from the profits, why would locals take the time to pay attention enough to manage the resources properly? You know, people manage, you know, people people make good decisions when they can benefit from those decisions. If they're not directly benefiting from those decisions, why would they why would they make those decisions and you know we see that in in alaska with uh you know our voter turnout and things like that if if people aren't going to be involved then you know what it's it's going to fall apart rob myers is our guest we're talking about the differences in vision inside the republican party um let's continue on here rob uh and talk a little bit more about those two trains of thought um and because i in the third segment uh we got about two minutes here in the third segment i kind of want to how do we fix the the divide kind of thing? That's kind of what I where I want to go. If you've got that for me, yep, yep, okay. So one one more one final point to to make here is that you know the the whole idea behind this second vision is that you use that money to build infrastructure and, and things like that to grow the economy. The problem is that the politics makes the infrastructure vision fail on its own. Most people don't realize this, but the legislature has no objective criteria in picking whether or not a project. He's actually going to contribute to the economy or not. We've got nobody down here studying it. We're, we're taking shots in the dark. You go over to DOT, for example, they've got some criteria on things like safety and maintenance costs and a couple of other things. But those apply only to projects that are on DOT's internal lists, not on the projects that we put into the capital budget. And so those criteria never make it over here. And DOT doesn't even have the ability to look at how it's going to affect the economy. They just have have, a look at how it can affect their own operations because that's all they can measure here we don't have a long-term vision to build an economy that way we're just we're just shooting in the dark and we're going to end up you know again making economic decisions based on political criteria and that's going to fail 100 percent of the time and that's the problem again looking at it from a political standpoint instead of an economic standpoint and unfortunately that is the trap 
that many politicians fall into is that they're looking for the political solution when they should instead be looking for the economic solution, I think is is the answer there. Rob Myers is our guest. Uh, we're going to continue here in just a moment. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. We will be back with more and maybe a, a potential solution if Rob can dredge one up for us here. We'll talk about that in just a moment. Back with more right after this. If you missed the show, you can listen to it on your time with Dukes On Demand. Oh, and it's free. Like America used to be. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Okay, continuing with Rob Myers here uh, in the chat room. Um, Rob, this all boils back to what I said before is that they're, you know, the politician's disease, um, which is it's not an Alaskan phenomenon. I think it's it's not even an American phenomenon. It is a global phenomenon that basically you have politicians who look people straight in the eye and in one way or another, either nicely or condescendingly say, we know better than you how your money should be spent. And so you should just sit down and shut up and let us do our job because we have, we've got this. And historically what we've seen is they don't got this. They, you know, they, <laughs> they make a decision. And again, the unintended consequences, a lot of times they'll pass a law or do something which <clears throat> they, they intend to do one thing. Usually it doesn't really even accomplish that thing. And it has many other unintended ripples and consequences that come down the road and I quite honestly don't know how to fix that perspective um, because it seems like as soon as somebody gets elected, they feel like, well, now I've got the God's eye view of everything. I can figure it out. And I mean, we're seeing it at a national level. We're seeing it at a state level. You know, somehow that's just it just it's not working and you can't fight arithmetic. You can't fight mathematics. It's going to win in the end. And um, nobody seems to really acknowledge that fact. Right. You know, I mean, it just goes back to, you know, good good old, you know, uh, Dame Maggie Thatcher, you know, saying that, uh, you know, socialism fails because you eventually you run out of other people's money. And, you know, that's kind of what we're what we're running into here. We ran out of oil money. We're trying to replace it with permanent fund money. And that works to some extent. But then you're going to because now you're diverting that money out of the hands of individuals back over into the hands of government, then that's just going to hamstring the economy in the long run. And, you know, I, I think in a lot of ways, the issues that we're running into are because we're, you know, people by just being honest, people by their nature are tend to be short-sighted. You know, we tend to give up long-term, uh, long-term goals and, and, and take long-term pain in order to get short-term uh, in order to gain short-term goals. And, you know that's what we're we're finding here. It's it's easy to get the the short term wins that gets you that two or four year election cycle, uh, but then it's going to cost you ten or twenty years down the road. And at what point do we get enough people to change and go the other direction on that? Well, it happens. You know, I mean, after after you know slowly growing government for 50, 60 years, the the UK turned around and elected 
Margaret Thatcher as one example. After growing government for 40 odd years in the US, you know, we turned a lot around and elected Reagan. Um, so, I mean, it happens, it, it gets there, but it's a painful process along the way. And, and how do exactly do we reach that tipping point? Mm, you know, I think some of it is having conversations like this and saying not just, hey, what are we doing this year, but trying to step back and say, what are we doing as a whole? Where are we going with this? Right. Uh, you know, what is what is the ultimate vision here? And so that's part of the reason I talked to you. Well, and and this is, again, Hammond's warning of, uh, you know, that we have to have a long term vision. I mean, I've for 20, 23 years now, I guess, have I been doing this show? I've been talking about specifically the lack of long-term vision that we are running from one brush fire to another. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, it's the old Captain Jack Sparrow running from one side of the ship to the other to try and right the ship, Uh, you know, feast and famine. um, And again, having a vision that only goes out two years or maybe four years and never really looking at the long-term cons or even, you know, year to year, I think it was Mike shower who said uh, uh, to, he, he tells the story of talking to one legislator who uh, voted, I think it was voted against the PFD or something. And he goes, uh, he said the legislator told him, well, he goes, I'm not up for election for three years and they'll forget about it by then. You know, and again, where's the long-term decision-making for the good of the whole state, not just for the electoral process or getting reelected or retaining power. Um, And I think that's kind of what we're missing. Yeah, I I think so. You know, that, that, you know, again, it's, it's short-term, it's short-term thinking, it's short-term goals. And, and I think there's some things that have been happening that, that help that are starting to, to mitigate that. I think, you know, uh, not it's interesting to look at, we hit our budget crisis right at the same time that social media was really, uh, really peaking and, and making uh, a lot more information accessible to us and making it really easy for one person to stand up and say, Hey guys, did you see what's actually going on over here? And, you know, one result of that is the massive turnover that we've seen in the legislature the last few years. Um, I should, I actually, you know, come to think of it, I haven't done the math on it since the previous election. Uh, but I mean, when we just changed out in one election, uh, we elected, uh, 19, 25 new people out of 60, effectively, um, in one election, you're changing over almost half of the legislature. Right. Um, you know, uh, that, that just tells me that, that what we're doing is unsustainable politically. Um, but I don't think people yet have, have you know, realized that, all right, we got to do something different here. Rob Myers is our guest. We're going for solutions. Uh, Hopefully we can come up with some. Here we go. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense Radio. Okay, uh, one final segment now. Uh, Senator Rob Myers is our guest representing District Q up in the interior. We're talking about the competing visions inside the Republican Party, uh, not the left versus right dichotomy, not the Republicans versus the Democrats, progressive versus liberals or versus conservatives, blah, blah, blah. No, basically, you know, the pro-government side versus the pro-smaller government side, I think, is uh, is what we're looking for. Rob, do we have any way to do we have any way to right the ship? Do we have any way to save this? Do we have any way to bring these visions in line 
Uh, because again, the problem is you were just talking about um, you were just talking about uh, you know the competing visions and the uh, the idea that people are making decisions, politicians are making decisions just until the next cycle. We've got to you know for short term uh, decisions that we're looking for more a long term vision. And we've seen we've changed out all these players as you just pointed out during the break. You know we change out twenty five of sixty legislators in a single election. And yet the powers that be still hold the reins of power inside. So the old school is still inside the legislature kind of, you know, direct steering the boat, so to speak. And they're still making those decisions of we know better than you how to spend your money. So how 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 do we how do we fix this, man? How do we how do we bring this back on track to where the citizens, again, have a say, have input, have control and the public economy it is going to take a back seat to the private economy as it should be. Well, you know, I think that this last election was probably a big eye opener for a lot of people. Um, and then to some extent, you know, the, the, the way that the House and the Senate organized as well, because you start looking at the, the different candidates, um, you know, you go into a general election, you just, just don't have just an R and a D on the ballot anymore. You could have a couple of R's or a couple of D's. And so in a lot of places, you had two R's out there that had very different visions, um, and some of some of them were better at, at uh, extrapolating those visions than others. Uh, but then you go down to some of the districts in, in Anchorage that are deep blue, and you had multiple D's in there, and you had different visions as well. So yes, this isn't just a, a, a Republican-Democrat divide. This is, is splitting both parties. So in the Republican Party, the one side says, the free market works, let's let's do the minimum that government needs to do and 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 get out of the way of the people and let the the free market do its job the other side is saying no the the government needs to be investing in all this infrastructure and other things that uh that an individual can't do and so we need to retain control of the money and in the d side i think that that it's not as obvious but i think that there's a similar divide as well because i come down here and i talk to kind of some of the more moderate democrats and they you know, they still largely believe in the free market and things like that. And so they're usually pro-dividend. Um, they, they're going to want more government than you and I would want. Um, but they're, they're, you know, you know, cause they're, they're wanting people to say, oh, well, we're just going to, you know, we're going to uh, take care of the folks that, that fall through the cracks and things like that. And okay. I, I might disagree with that philosophically, but I can at least understand where you're coming from. On the other side then is the more liberal D side that says, no, 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 no we have to maintain control of all that money because we have to design the whole thing. We have to control the whole economy and make sure that, that, uh, that it's all going to work according to our big grand master plan. And, you know, and, and so that, that then kind of falls on the wayside. So it's interesting to watch the dynamics down here. Um, you've got, you know, kind of the conservative R's and the moderate D's that can often agree on some things and the moderate R's and the liberal D's that end up agreeing on some things as well. Um, it, it makes for a very interesting dichotomy here because both of the parties are so split. And so ultimately, as you mentioned, you know, this isn't just a question of RD or liberal and conservative. It's a question of do we believe in individual growth and empowering the individual or do we believe in government growth and empowering the government and having the, the government be the one not to support the economy, but to be the one to direct the economy? And as we're going through the session and as we go into the next legislate uh, next election cycle, 
you know, I think that that's the question we need to be asking uh, the different legislators and the different candidates is which side of that debate are you on? Are you on the side of an individual can make his own decisions or are you on the side of the government needs to uh, needs to be providing direction from the top down? I've asked questions like that of politicians. And of course, they give you a very political answer. It's not it's never a cut and dry. Well, of course, we want the government to direct the economy because that's its job. They I mean, they'll say that after the election. They'll say that from the floor. They'll say that in speeches later on. But during the election cycle, they know that that's an anathema to the You know, them receiving, uh, you know, the support of the votes of the people, because people characteristically, I mean, they fundamentally understand that. The government does not do a good job of directing an economy. It's like every time a politician says, we need to create new jobs. No, you don't need to. The jobs are created by the free market. That's what creates jobs. Now, you may put money in there that helps support some of that stuff, but usually that's very short term. It's very short lived. It's it's a one and done thing. It's not something that you can create. What you need to do is get out of the way and let the free market do its job and create that wealth in that economy. Government does not create wealth. Government consumes wealth, the private economy, the free market creates wealth. And that's the biggest, I think that's the biggest, uh, you know, dichotomy in people's heads is that is that is the difference between that pro-government side and the smaller pro-smaller government side. Right. And, and you know, and, and as I, I said at the very beginning, you know, in a lot of ways, the PFD becomes the PFD is not necessarily our problem. But the PFD is the perfect encapsulation, the perfect symbol of our problem, because do you want to allow the money to make it out to the hands of individuals or do you want the government to keep control of that money? Because you know, money is power. We know that it's just we know that just instinctively. And so, you know, that's a, a, a quick cheat sheet way to uh, to to ask people that, you know, which side of that debate are you on is to start asking about how they view the PFD, because if they view uh, the PFD and and the money from the permanent fund in general as something that needs to make it out to the private economy so the economy can grow, then that tells you which side of the debate they're on. Right. If they tell you that that money from the permanent fund needs to stay within the hands of government so the government can make sure that it's spent properly, <clears throat> then that tells you what side of the debate they're on. Well, and you could go back and say you could also ask them in a more kind of a in a more a roundabout way to say what's your what's your view on Article 8, Section 2 of the Constitution, which says that the benefits should be, you know, that they should be developed to the maximum benefit of the people. Many, uh -huh. many of us believe that maximum benefit means that it needs to get to the people directly. Politicians believe many politicians believe, especially the pro-government side, that maximum benefit means the maximum number of dollars into government coffers so that they can control it and spend it. And that is the main difference between, I think, the two groups of people. I think you were right to bring that article up because that's the one that seems to be the sticking point. Maximum benefit means, you know, we should have a, a cheap and affordable gas to us because that's the maximum benefit of the people that affects most of the people directly instead of the dollars going into the coffers and then then the government choosing winners and losers on that. So here's here's one way to think about it. Let's we're talking about natural resources. Let's pick a different resource. OK, let's talk about moose. OK, I, I think most Alaskans can, can talk about moose and moose hunting and, and, and we'll get this. OK, if we're going to talk about maximum benefit of the people, you got two ways to do that. The government can manage the moose population to make sure we get the most population so uh, that, that the people can go out and get sustainable yield. And your in your individuals have the opportunity to go out and hunt. Or 
the government can say, no, we're going to take over this. You're not going to go out and hunt. We're going to go out and hunt. And then we're going to decide who's going to get the meat. That's that is 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 a, a simple analogy to to say, all right, which side of that divide are you on? Are we trying to empower individuals or are we trying to empower the government to make the decisions for us? 90 seconds left, Rob. I'll give you the floor for final thoughts on this. Uh, you know, how do we how do we steer clear? How do we steer through this morass? I, I, again, ultimately, um, in in the, the short term, it, you get make a lot of gains when government has has more power. In the long term, you make the most gains when the individual gets more power. And in this case, money is power. And that's why the PFD is so important to our economy is because it gives power to individuals rather than government. Right. And it, and again, it bolsters the economy because of the turn of the money in the economy. It gives people options. It encourages entrepreneurship and many other things. Like you said, you start gathering together two or three or four PFDs in a household, you've got a good little seed for some kind of business or side hustle or something, which again, bolsters the economy, could potentially employ people, makes those things hurt. It makes that money work instead of sitting around in government picking winners and losers in the long run. Uh, Rob Myers, um, good stuff. I appreciate it. We want to come back and talk about some of the other things that we uh, we're going to discuss as well. Maybe we can get you back next week or the week after. I mean, you're not busy, right? In the minority like that, you just you got nothing going on. So we'll see if we can bring you back next week. Maybe for a Myers Monday. How about that? We'll see if we can do that. Uh, Rob Myers, thank you so much, my friend. Appreciate you coming on board. Hold the line. Folks, we are out of time. The Michael Duke Show continues tomorrow. All right, let's uh, go back. We'll give Rob one final bite at the apple. I'll give you the closing thoughts for real. Two minutes here, two, three minutes, whatever, Rob. Anything you well, want yeah. to leave us with? <laughs> well, let's. how about we'll tease for the next time I'm on. Sure, go ahead. Um, you know, I, you know, we just talked about about visions, about where we want things to go. And, I, you know, the next step in this, in my mind, is we need to sit down and say, all right, given what the state is doing, where is that leading us? Because one of the, one of the reasons I ran for office, one of the reasons that that I've been so concerned over the last six, eight, ten years now is because I think that we're kind of, you know, because of that two year election cycle, we're focusing on let's pass this year's budget. Let's focus on next year's election. And we're not thinking about, uh, you know, we're, we're making these little patchwork fixes and we're slowly sliding in a particular direction that we haven't really sat down and, and, and said, oh, OK, well, let, actually, where is this leading us? You know, we're we're, we're um, keeping the car on the road, but we haven't looked at the map to say, where is that road leading us? Um, and, uh, you know, we, we got to sit down and do that, you know, just like you were talking about in the first half with education. You need to figure out where you're going before you figure out how you're going to get there. Well, let's let's sit down and actually figure out where is this leading us? Is that somewhere we want to go or do we want to or or do we want to be going down a different direction? And I, I want to get into some of that the next time we talk. No, absolutely. I mean, I, again, using the analogy from the education and the comments from Loki Tobin and others is basically, you know, you need to decide where you're going first. Then you could decide if that means that you need a troop transport or a carnival cruise ship, right? I mean, if you're if you're driving the boat, you know, do you need all the fancy bells and whistles or do you need just a stand a standard, you know, tramp steamer cargo ship to get you there? That is going to do it. You can't be like, we're gonna build the perfect boat and then decide where we're going. 
And that's what they're asking for right now. And as you said, that patchwork is what kills us. The the short-term fix. We're treating the symptom instead of the disease. And that's been a problem in government for years that's just continued on. We're treating the symptoms instead of, you know, we're triaging it instead of actually fixing the underlying problems. And until we admit that there's a problem and that it's not going to require a reimagining, but instead a nuts and bolts discussion on what a hard look at what is actually wrong and fix it. We're not going to, we're not going to, we're going to do it, but that's not going to be popular with many people. It's not going to be popular with the public. That's part of the problem. The part of this equation is if we make those hard decisions on bringing government into the size and scope that it needs to be, there's going to be unhappy people. And, and maybe that's the symbol of a great compromise. Not everybody's happy. Everybody's a little unhappy, in fact. Well, yeah, the, the the easy decisions, the painless decisions, we're way past that stage. Everything is going to hurt. And, you know, so we saw in 2019 when the, the governor tried to, to give us some significant budget cuts, we saw the pushback, you yeah. know, because we've as we've talked in the past, so much of our state is built on government spending that the, the hue and cry was was huge. Um, and, and the hue and cry is going to be huge on a, on a lot of uh, areas. But, you know, I'd rather deal with the hue and cry now and, and go through the, those painful decisions than drop off the cliff, which is what where we're headed. Rob Myers, thank you so much, my friend. I appreciate you coming on board this morning and being part of it. We look forward to talking to you maybe next Monday. Question mark? Uh, my schedule, I'll talk to you about that. Okay, thanks so much. I appreciate it. Thanks for being part of it today. All right, folks, we are out of time. We got to go. Don't forget to check out the Common Sense Core if you want to help support the show. We are free market people here, after all. Your support goes a long way to making things happen around here. We will see you tomorrow. Representative Ben Carpenter with us. Maybe Calvin Schreggy? Question mark? We'll see. Thanks for coming in. Common Sense Radio. shed our terrestrial radio skin and now we are slimy lizard internet people it's the michael duke show